You're listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. For more information, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk. This morning, which is page 281 in the Church Bibles. If you want to turn to it. Okay. Samuel's farewell speech. Samuel said to all Israel, I have listened to everything you said to me and have set a king over you. Now you have a king as your leader. As for me, I am old and grey and my sons are here with you. I have been your leader from my youth until this day. Here I stand. Testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes? If I have done any of these things, I will make it right. You have not cheated or oppressed us, they replied. You have not taken anything from anyone's hand. Samuel said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and also his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. He is witness, they said. Then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your ancestors up out of Egypt. Now then, stand here, because I am going to confront you with evidence before the Lord as to all the righteous acts performed by the Lord for you and your ancestors. After Jacob entered Egypt, they cried to the Lord for help, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your ancestors out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God. So, this, this. so he sold them into the hands of Sisera, the commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hands of the Philistines and the king of Moab, who fought against them. They cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned, we have forsaken the Lord, and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths. But now deliver us from the hands of our enemies, and we will serve you. Then the Lord sent Jeroboam, Barak, Jephthah, and Samuel. And he delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around you, so that you lived in safety. But when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was moving against you, you said to me, No, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. Now here is the king you have chosen, the one you asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands... And if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey the Lord, and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you, as it was against your ancestors. Now then, stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest now? I will call on the Lord to send thunder and rain. And you will realise what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. Then Samuel called on the Lord, and that same day the Lord sent thunder and rain. So all the people stood in awe of the Lord and of Samuel. The people all said to Samuel, Pray to the Lord your God for your servants, so that we will not die, for we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. Do not be afraid, Samuel replied. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you, because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, 
because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it from me that I shall sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet, if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. Amen. Morning. Lovely to be with you. Uh, If you were to stand on trial before God, what verdict would you hear? If you would stand on trial before God, what verdict would you hear? Now, I know people have come back from their holidays. You've got a lot to do before work. Kids have got to go back to school. You're probably expecting some kind of welcome back to ECC sermon. I'd tell a few jokes, say something about Jesus. Off you go. This, however, is probably not the kind of question you wanted to think about this first Sunday in September. I get it. But this passage in 1 Samuel 12 forces us to evaluate our relationship with God. In fact, what we're going to see as we look at 1 Samuel 12 is it's set in a trial. Firstly, it's Samuel versus the people. And then we're going to look at God versus the people of Israel. And as we do, we'll kind of see how we're getting on too. Now, you see, the first Sunday of September is a lot like the first Sunday in January. It's often a time when people are coming back from holiday and we're starting to get back into normality. It's a time to take stock of where we've been and think about where we're heading. You might have overdone it like Nay on the all-inclusive holiday and now's the time for the diet. Just He was mean to Scousers. He deserved that. <laughs> or you may, have, you may have spent all your money trying to entertain the children these holidays, and so now's the time to tighten those purse strings. You may have let your quiet time slip, so now's the time to get the Bible back open. It may be that you're out of the routine of going to church, so therefore this is something for you to get back into. This is a good time of year to reflect on what has gone and to think about what is ahead. So in many ways, 1 Samuel 12 is a perfect passage for us at this time of year. This passage is going to put us on trial and examine whether our relationship with God is on track or whether we're about to drive off a cliff. So if you stood on trial before God, what verdict would you hear? Let me pray and then we'll get into the passage. Father God, we thank you for your word in your providence. You have this passage for such a time as this. And we pray, Father, that you would speak to each one of us by your spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So at ECC, we love to go through books of the Bible because we want to teach you the whole counsel of God, not just the bits that we think will make us look good or be popular. We started 1 Samuel back in April and we had a little break in the summer to look at Proverbs, but now we are back in it. And for those who are new or for those who over the summer your brain has kind of gone to sleep, I'm going to quickly give you a recap of the first 11 chapters. So remember that 1 Samuel starts at a low point in Israel's history. They are without a leader. 
This is a time where everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. Even the priests were corrupt, as we saw with Eli and his two sons. And yet, God has not given up on his people. There was a woman called Hannah who was barren, and God has granted her a baby boy called Samuel. Samuel is going to go off and be trained under Eli the priest, whilst Hannah is going to write a few songs. And one of the songs in, in chapter 2 really is a great summary of the book of 1 Samuel. In it, she talks about how the mighty are brought low and how the humble are raised up. And the first time we see this bringing down of the mighty and raising up of the humble is when Eli and his sons, okay, those in kind of a, a semi-position, are brought down. And then Samuel, who's the humble boy, is raised up in strength and stature with the people. And there's a couple of chapters, chapters 4 to 7, about this ark of God, which goes missing and there's strange things that happen. But it's when Samuel comes with the help of God that this ark is returned back to the people of Israel. We get to chapter 8 and we learn that Samuel is old. We learn that his sons are useless and the people are asking for a king. Now Samuel takes this personally. He thinks that they are rejecting his leadership. Whereas God tells Samuel, no, 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 no. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me from being their king. The people want to be like the nations around them. And they want someone who's going to lead them in battle against the enemies and defeat those forces. Samuel warns them about the bad, the bad things that are going to come from kings, but they don't listen. They want this king and God allows them to have a king. So who is this king? Well, we have this weird story of this guy Saul and he's looking for some donkeys. Remember that? It turns out that Saul is tall and handsome and that's about the only two qualities he's got. Okay, he's got nothing else. He's not a God-fearing man. He seems to hide from his responsibilities. Saul doesn't seem to have read the How to Be a Good King book. Nevertheless, though, when the nasty Ammonites come, Saul is empowered by God's Spirit to go and defeat them. And by the end of chapter 12, Saul is confirmed as the king of Israel. So there we go. Did that refresh? Yeah. Not bad. Okay, about the right length of time. Okay, good. So chapter 12 is a transition. It's a transition from the leadership of Samuel as a judge to the leadership of Saul as a king. Now Samuel, as we'll discover in a little bit, still has got a role to play. But this is now, he's no longer the leader. Saul is going to be the leader. And chapter 12 begins with Samuel summarizing his role. If you've got your Bible open, have a look at Samuel chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. Samuel said to all Israel, I've listened to everything you said to me. I have set a king over you. Now you have a king as your leader. As for me, I am old and grey, and my sons here are with you. I have been your leader from my youth until this day. So you can, the transition's happening, is it? Samuel's saying, I used to lead you, and now you've got this king. And then in the next verse, verse 3, that's when the trial begins. And it seems as though part of this trial is Samuel wants to be vindicated. 
And I was thinking about this. This often happens when we get older in life. When we get older in life, we want people to say good things about the life we've led. We want it to feel as if our life has mattered in some way. I don't know if you remember the songs, uh, the song, the film Saving Private Ryan. There's the scene at the end, isn't it, where Private Ryan goes to visit the graves in Normandy. And what he's doing is he wants to pay his respects to Captain Miller and the other guys who saved him. And as he's walking around, he suddenly stops and he breaks down, flood to tears, flood to tears. And he's asking his wife, have I been a good man? Have I been a good man? He wants his wife to vindicate him. He wants to feel as though he has earned the sacrifice that they made for him. Now, I don't think Samuel's need for vindication is primarily to make him feel better. Rather, through this vindication, he's going to make a point to the people of Israel, which we'll see in a moment. So let's see how this trial goes. Let's pick it up in verse 3. So he says, here I stand, testify. So here's the testify. This is the trial context we're thinking about. He says, testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Now, this is really important because he's doing this in front of the people of Israel. And who's there? Saul. Now, now that's going to be really important for what we're going to see in a little bit and how awkward Saul might feel. But it's to the people of Israel and Saul's there as well. He says, whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey has I, have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? For whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes? If I've done any of these things, I will make it right. You have not cheated or oppressed, as they replied. You have not taken anything from anyone's hand. Samuel said to them, the Lord is witness against you. And also his anointed is witness this day that you have found, not found anything in my hand. He is witness, they said. Now again, going back to chapter 8, when they asked for a king, one of the things that Samuel warns them about, about this king, is the king is going to take, kings take and they take and they take. They're going to take your sons, they're going to take your daughters, they're going to take your fields, your grains, your flocks. But what does he want them to see? He wants them to see that he's taken nothing. The king's going to take, but Samuel's not taking anything. Also, we get a feeling in that bit there, Samuel is trying to say to them, look, you had Eli, you had his sons. What were they? They were taken. They were cheating. They were oppressing people. I have done none of those things. And what did the people of Israel do? The people of Israel declare him innocent, of any wrong they vindicate him Samuel is blameless with regards to his leadership <coughs> now again is this just a, an exercise in stroking Samuel's ego I don't think so I think what's more likely is Samuel is trying to get the people to see that they're asking for a king was unnecessary because the old way i.e. Samuel's leadership was fine which they just acknowledged in front of him, hadn't he? He's saying, look, was I a good leader? And he, yeah, yeah, you're good. You didn't steal, you didn't oppress, you didn't cheat. So he said, why on earth did you ask for a king? Now, before we move on to the second trial, which will take a bit more time, let's just pause for a moment and think about our own witness. How confident would we feel in asking those that we work with, 
whether paid or unpaid, whether those who we did work with now were retired, how confident would we be to ask them to assess our roles? Wow, it's a bit frightening, is it? Would they say that we're people of integrity? Would they say that we are hardworking people? Would they say that we are kind with our words? It's a challenge, isn't it? Samuel was far from perfect, and we get this because maybe he turned a blind eye to his son's bad behavior, but he sets the bar high when it comes to the role that God had given him. And I wonder if you set the bar high in the role God has given you, or whether you just see it as a means of paying the bills or getting out the house. Whatever, whatever your work paid or voluntary, know that this is a God-given role and God wants you to use it as a means of serving him. So we are to work hard. We are to show integrity. We are to be the person that people struggle to find fault with. And when we do get it wrong, which we will, we're the first people to own our mistakes and to try and make things right. Because we know, don't we, it's sometimes in our failure that God works powerfully in us and through us in the places of work. So you see, Samuel was declared innocent of doing any wrong in his job. Can we expect the same verdict in the role that God has given us? So if that's Samuel, let's think about the second trial. This is God versus the people of Israel. So Samuel has set the people up, okay? He's done nothing wrong with the, or there's nothing wrong with the old type of leadership. Now Samuel wants to put the people on trial with God. Samuel wants them to see that their asking for a king was not only unnecessary, but it was actually evil too. Look at verse six and seven. So Samuel said to the people, it is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your ancestors up out of Egypt. Now then, stand here because I'm going to confront you with evidence before the Lord as to all the righteous acts performed by the Lord for you and your ancestors. So again, can you hear that trial language? Stand here. I've got evidence I'm going to confront you with. Now, I know what most people say, Chris, you've probably got lots of experience in court. They would say because you're a scouser. There was a joke, wasn't there? What you call a scouser in the suit, the accused. But I've not had any experience of that, okay? I've bribed my way out of any problem. No, that's not true. But you see, Samuel is confronting them with evidence. Evidence of how it's been the Lord who's appointed their leaders and how it's been the Lord who's performed righteous acts all through Israel's history. Look at verses 8 to 11. So he says, After Jacob entered Egypt, they cried to the Lord for help. And the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your ancestors out of Egypt, and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God. So he sold them into the hands of Caesarea, the commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hands of the Philistines and the king of Moab, who fought against them. They cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned. 
We have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashereths. But now deliver us from the hands of our enemies and we will serve you. The Lord sent Jerubbabel, Barak, Jephthah and Samuel. And he delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around you so that you lived in safety. So can you see what the evidence is? The evidence is really clear. God has provided for the people, but the people have turned away from God and worshipped these false gods, these idols, the Baals and the Ashereths. God then handed them over to their enemies. And as the people cried out for deliverance, it was God through Gideon, through Jephthah, through um, Barak, through Samuel. It was God who delivered the people from their enemies. It was God who was the rescuer. It was God who was their leader. The people were meant to cry out to God. And yet what we find here is they want to reject God. Look at verse 12 to 13. But when you saw Naash, the king of the Ammonites, was moving against you, you said to me, no, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord God was your king. Now, you can imagine him pointing here. Now, here is the king you have chosen, the one you asked for. Remember, Saul's name means asked for. The one you asked for is here. The Lord has set a king over you. Now, you can imagine kind of Saul. He's going, oh dear. You can, he's retreating. He's tall, isn't he? But he's probably just getting a bit smaller. Probably find, where's the luggage again? I want to hide in the baggage. Um, but he's not. Now, one commentator I thought was quite interesting the way he sums up Samuel's argument like this. He says, now that you've asked for a king to replace the Lord, can you see what you've done? Look at him. Tall, good looking, young. He's all that. But he's not the Lord your God. What kind of stupidity would exchange the Lord your God for this? What kind of blind insanity would trust this young man over the Lord your God? I don't care how tall and impressive he looks. This is madness. No, this is wickedness. Such is the force of Samuel's argument. Now, sin causes us to do some insane things. We look to our friends, to our spouses, to our children to give us joy instead of looking to the Lord, our God. We think doctors, politicians, pastors are going to fix things instead of trusting in the Lord, our God. We make sport, food, entertainment our refuge instead of the Lord, our God. We put our security in education, in our position at work, in our security in the bank, instead of the Lord, our God. You see, like the people of Israel, we get drawn away by things that look impressive. But when they're held up against the Lord, our God, it would be madness and insanity to exchange them for him. In fact, it would be wicked to do so. But you see, Samuel offers the people of Israel hope. Look at verses 14 to 15. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, 
And if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey the Lord, and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. Now, if you know your Old Testament, this sounds very much like the farewell speech that Moses gives in Deuteronomy 32. The same kind of speech that Joshua gives in Joshua 23 and 24, which basically says, if you obey, things will go well. If you disobey, then watch out. But you see, the difference here, though, is the king has to obey God too. That's really important when we think about Jesus a bit later. So just kind of put the king has to obey God too. And from what we've seen of Saul so far, the people of Israel should be in a panic. Because this guy doesn't fill us with much confidence. Now, if the people of Israel were still not convinced about asking for a king was evil, Samuel is about to play his trump card. Look at verses 16 to 17. Now then, stand still. He loves standing still, Samuel, doesn't he? He'd be great at that, like, statue game, wouldn't he? Samuel's winning again. Stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest now? I will call on the Lord to send thunder and rain, and you will realize what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. So basically, it's like snow coming in July. That's what he's saying. Thunder and rain coming at the wheat harvest is like, for us, snow coming in July. And I know some of you are thinking, actually, Chris, this summer, <laughs> you know, we can't count that out. But the idea is it shouldn't happen. Verse 18. Then Samuel called on the Lord, and at the same day the Lord sent thunder and rain. So all the people stood in awe of Samuel, the Lord and of Samuel. The people all said to Samuel, pray to the Lord, your God, for your servants, so that we will not die. For we've added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. So can you see what happens? The thunder and the rain is confirmation that they're asking for a king is evil. And this is something, verse 19, that the people now acknowledge. But what's interesting, though, because of their sin, they think their sin is so great that they can't call God their God. Instead, they tell Samuel to pray to your God. Now, it's probably something we've all experienced in our lives. We get caught up in some kind of sin and we think that there's no way back to God. God can't love me for what I've done. God can't forgive me. And sometimes we let that sin define us. That sin becomes the identity we live out of. We no longer call God our Father. And I wonder, is this you today? Are you in a season of doubting whether God can love you because of that sin? Are you here this morning struggling to believe that God can forgive you for what you've done? Are you that person, there's always one person who's thinking, Chris, if you knew what I was really like, you'd ask me to leave. Friends, if that is you, welcome. 
You're, you're amongst fellow strugglers, fellow sinners. You're amongst people who are relying on the grace of God every day in their lives. And the good news for us as we, as we start to close this down, land the plane, whatever you want to say, is God gives us grace in abundance. Friends, you cannot out-sin the grace of God. And look, we start to see it here. Verse 20. Samuel says, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you because they are useless. So Samuel's saying, yes, you've committed evil. Yes, you've sinned against God, but now is not the time to flee God. Rather, now's the time to turn to God and serve him. You see, if we do not turn back to God when we sin, we turn further towards those useless idols, which ultimately do us no good and ultimately cannot rescue us from our main issue, which is our sin and the judgment that awaits. So what is the guarantee that when we turn back to God, he will accept us? What is the guarantee that when we turn back to God, he will not reject us? What is the guarantee that God will show us grace? Well, it's verse 22. Friends, if you've got a Bible, if it's your Bible, in fact, if it's the Bible here, it doesn't matter. Highlight verse 22, put an asterisk around it, okay? If you want to get a tattoo, you got my permission, maybe on the forearm, get verse 22 there, okay? So when you're walking or clotheslining people, they can see that you love them. Maybe, okay. It's getting tired now. Let's just wrap it up. Come on, Chris, here we go. Right. Look at verse 22. How do you know that God's not going to reject you? Verse 22 says this. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people. Wow. Because the Lord was pleased, pleased to make you his own. Now there's a sentence we don't say anymore and it's this. I give you my word. I give you my word. If someone used to say, I give you my word, that was a guarantee that what they said they were going to do, they would do it. 100% without failure, they've given you the word. Now, we don't do it anymore. And there's probably different reasons. One of them, we live in an age of FOMO, fear of missing out. We think potentially there's better things that we could or should be doing. So we don't want to tie ourselves down by giving people our word. We want to just be free to kind of go where uh, we want to go. But, and it's, it's a real shame, but it's why we shouldn't measure God by human standards. You see, when God gives us his word, you can guarantee that this thing is unbreakable, it's immovable, and it's guaranteed. Unfortunately, it's a bit like City winning a league, but you know. You see, verse 22 is a glorious promise to us all, but especially to people here this morning who are struggling to believe that God can love them for the things that they've done. I'm paraphrasing here, but in a sense, verse 22 is this, I give you my word, I will not reject my people because there's nothing greater or higher or more important than my name. And it's for the sake of my name 
you know for certain I'm going to do the thing I say I will do. And that is I will not reject my people. You see, God will continue to show us grace. He will continue to love us because we are his people. And because God gives us his word, he will never reject his people. Now you might say, well, how do I know, Chris, if I am one of his people? Well, let's just finish with verses 23 to 25. Samuel says, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. So Samuel Fair says he confirms he's not going anywhere. He's not going to lead them, but he's going to pray for them. He's going to be a priest to them. And he's also going to continue to be a prophet as he's going to teach them what is good and what is right. But for us, it's verse 24. Samuel says in verse 24, he says, if you are one of God's people, you'll know this. You will fear him and you will serve him faithfully with all your heart. You will fear him. You will serve him faithfully with all your heart. Now, if that verse stopped there, then we're starting to lean into Christianity being about what we do to be made right with God. If I fear the Lord enough, if I serve the Lord faithfully enough, I'll be one of God's people. No, friends, that is salvation by works, not grace. That is not Christianity. You see, the key for us is the phrase, consider what great things he has done for you. You see, what we do is in response to what he's already done for us. It's the same today for us as it was the people of Israel. They were to remember the deliverance God has given them, how he brought them out of Egypt, and they were to live in light of that deliverance. God's people were to continue to live in a knowledge that God would never reject them. He would always show them grace. And because of this grace, they were to serve him faithfully. And friends, how much more privileged are we to live this, at this time in 2023 when we consider the great thing that God has done for us? In Jesus, we have a king who perfectly obeyed his father for his people. In Jesus, we have a high priest who sacrificed himself as a punishment for our sins. In Jesus, we have the prophet who is the message of grace to the world. And by trusting in Jesus' death for our sins and his glorious resurrection for eternal life, friends, we become his people. This is all accomplished by Jesus, not us. We cannot take any credit. There should be no slither of entitlement in any one of us. This is not earned by us. It is a gift given by God through his son, Jesus. It's a gift for us to receive and it's a gift for us to enjoy. When we consider Jesus and the great things we, he's done, we are to live faithfully, with all our hearts serving him. Our actions confirm our salvation. Remember, faith without deeds is dead. 
So again, have you come to trust in Jesus' death? Are you by grace wanting to serve him faithfully? Well, if this is you, the good news is this. When you sin, know with confidence because God has given you his word, he will not reject you. You are his forever by grace. You see, friends, we, like the people of Israel, we are guilty if we were put on trial by God. But thankfully, Jesus has taken that guilty verdict on the cross. He's given us grace instead of condemnation. And we are now free to live in light of this grace we've received now and forever. We are free to faithfully serve Jesus with all our heart. So friends, if you stood on trial before God, what would the verdict be? Would it be guilty because you're putting your trust in idols that cannot rescue? Or would it be innocent because you've received the gift of grace from Jesus and you are trying to serve him faithfully, the true and better king? Let me pray. Father God, thank you that you are the God of grace. Thank you, Father, that there is nothing in us that deserves what you've done for us. And yet we want to cling to Jesus. We know that we struggle to follow you and to serve you faithfully. Still now we are taken away by things that are impressive, but things that ultimately do us no good and will not rescue us. So, Father, I pray that in those times we would hold on to the promise that for your great name's sake, you will not reject your people. Oh, may that be a sweet pillow for us to lay on this evening. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. To find out more about us, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk.